Today, let's open up to Mark chapter 10. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark, this is kind of a, a, a tough passage uh, to teach through, but you know our commitment here at Calvary Chapel is just to teach through the Bible. And uh, here we come to this place now where I guess in a, in a, in a nutshell, you know, one of my passions, and I think, I think all of us, we kind of have this deep down inside of us, we just want to help people. You know, there are so many hurting people out there um, that are just going through so much. And we want to find our place in life, the purpose that we were made, in order that we could be used by God to help them. You know, you could be a musician, you can be a physician, you can be a politician, uh, you can be a pastor, a missionary, a mom. You know, and what we find is that as, as we learn our purpose in life, then God, you know, he knits us together in his my mother's womb and he's got a destiny, I believe in that, and purposes. But the, the problem is a lot of times, especially living in the country that we live in, we have a tendency to go our own way, to do our own thing, you know? We're like, you know, Lord, I, I know you're calling me to do this, but man, bottom line is, is I don't feel like it. I want to I do my own thing, you know? And the, and the Lord is just so patient with us. But man, let me tell you something. He, he made you with a purpose. I mean, he has dreams for you. He has a destiny for you. And what we got to do, though, is to learn to live life you know, not selfishly, but sacrificially. We have to learn. You know, there's a, there's a saying, it says that ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. You know, and when you find life, uh, uh, you know, well, I'm just going to do the easy thing, the casual thing, the comfortable thing, then you miss out on the very reason for which you were made. And we're going to see that in today's study as we look at the apostles and what they have done and we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and, and so we read in Mark 10, in, in verse 28, we're going to see lessons on missions and positions because Peter, he says, he began to say to him, and he says, see, we have left all and followed you. And so Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And when you look at the context here, what you find is that Jesus had just finished his dialogue with the rich young ruler. Do you guys remember that story? The Lord says, hey, sell everything, give it to the poor, you'll have treasures in heaven, and then, you know what, take up your cross and follow me. And so Peter, I think he honed in on that concept, treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. That sounds pretty cool, you know, treasures in heaven. And so he says to the Lord, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What are we going to get? That's what he says in Matthew 19, 27. See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? You know, and, and what you find when you look at the life of the apostles and God used them in such a tremendous way is that they had left all to follow the Lord, Right? I mean, maybe they didn't sell their house or land. Uh, we're not too sure about that, but they definitely left for a season as they committed their life to follow the Lord and they would travel throughout Israel and eventually the world as they're sharing the truth and the message of hope 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so they had made those sacrifices. And what we find, you guys, is that we have to do the same. You know, we see here that they left their house. And, uh, you know, I, this is a, a funny thing. I don't know how it's going with you guys, you know, but bottom line is some people, they give, they give, they give sacrificially to the point where when you really think about it, the tithes and offerings are going to the work of the ministry that, you know, they can't get the bigger house or they might not get multiple houses. But what they've done in a roundabout sense is they've left their house to serve the Lord. You know, he mentions here the extended family and, you know, thank God for our family and I'm definitely not trying to, to tell you to in any way neglect your family but you know, you, you, know, you want to go to you know, your Uncle Ernie's uh, get-together and you know, your Thea Mary's uh, potluck and you know, next thing you know, they got a bingo night over here and they got a family get-together, reunions and things going on, right? And when you have this calling in your life and this commitment and this purpose and these responsibilities, at the end of the day, when you're following the Lord, sometimes you can't make all those things, right? Because what you do is at the end of the day, you check in with God. You check in with Jesus Christ and you ask him, what do you want me to do? You know, I've lived that life and sometimes, you know, they get mad at me, but I think at the end of the day, they understand, you know. Please understand. It's not that I don't love you. I love you here, you know, and I give them some cookies or something, but, you know... Um, <laughs> I mean, this is what God's called me to do. And so sometimes we make those sacrifices with the extended family, sometimes even the immediate family. Notice he says right there, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children. Sometimes there are sacrifices within the immediate family, right? Not that you would ever abandon your family. Please don't even begin to think that's what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, when you become a Christian, man, that's your priority. First God, then my family, then the ministry. But there will be those times where your wife or your kids, they might have to make those sacrifices. Maybe you have to go to some conference for a weekend or maybe on a missions trip for a week or two or maybe longer like the apostles had to. As they're following Jesus and they're traveling throughout Israel, they're gone for long, extended periods of time. And there are sacrifices being made by them and by their family as well. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. There are sacrifices in the immediate family. It might be weeks, days, or hours, but sacrifices are made in the mission. Sometimes I, I, you know, I get home and you know, I might get a phone call and every once in a while I'll answer it. Because it could be a, a, a marriage that is about to break up. It could be a person who's contemplating suicide and they, want, they need someone to talk to. I can't answer the phone all the time, but you know, a lot of times, man, you got to make those sacrifices. And there I was just ready to play, you know, whatever, some video games with my son, man. And you know, you get that, that crazy phone call. And you have to say, mijo, I can't right now. I'm so sorry, but you know what? We're going to pick this up later. You know, and whatever the case may be, sometimes I got to get home and go into the garage where I study, you know, because maybe there's something going on. Again, not neglecting your family, not sacrificing your family on the altar of ministry, but just understanding the way that life works because at the end of the day, what ends up happening is some people, they're not willing to make those sacrifices, and therefore, like I said earlier, not willing to pay the cost, and therefore, they lose that calling and that responsibility in life. 
You know, right here, Jesus mentions lands, that they leave lands. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels. The, the lands right there, the Greek word is the word agros. We get our word agriculture from that. And what that means is they left their fields. It means that, that they didn't work as long as the rest do. And sometimes those are the sacrifices that we make, Right? I mean, the bottom line is, the way it is, and I've seen people serve in the ministry, whether it's church or outside of the church, I've seen it work where they can really make a lot more money if they spent more time working in the fields, working overtime, or maybe even working a second job, right? But what ends up happening is they've been moved by this great mission and calling of Christ upon their life, and they've left the field, so to speak, for greater fields for the fields of the harvest of the souls of men and women. You see? And this is what we leave, and why do we do it? The Lord says there in verse 29, for my sake and the Gospels. This is why we do what we do. And like I shared with you guys earlier, you know, sometimes uh, it's in the church, and God uses you in various ministries, But man, I'm telling you, man, it could be anything out there that God calls you to do. The things that are heavy on my heart, the youth, the homeless, you know, the things that are heavy on our hearts, the girls that are working the streets, the sex slaves, who's going to help them? The drug addicts, those that don't have a dad, they don't have an opportunity, who's going to help them? And that's when God raises up parachurch ministries. And what he does is he makes a difference in this world when people catch that vision. Whatever it is God has called you to do, you run with it and you're willing to make those sacrifices. I've told you many times that I pray God would raise up from this congregation the President of the United States of America, man. Wouldn't that be cool? I got a couple of guys I'm thinking of right now, man. You know, is that too hard for God? No. There's nothing too hard for him. You just have to find out where God wants you to be. And you do it for Christ. And you do it for the gospel, right? And so there you are, and you're serving in the mission field faithfully. What ends up happening, a lot of times I've noticed in life, is that some people accuse you of being crazy, man. They think you're insane the way you serve. But you want to know something? It's actually the best and the smartest thing that you could ever do with your life. Because you want to know what happens? When you give God your life, he gives you his life. When you give God this time on earth, then he will bless you forever in heaven. And we see it both ways. Look what he says again. I'm going to read this whole thing. He says, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And you can scratch that out. No, I'm just joking. You can't scratch that out. That's life, right? Because when you start doing something good, what's the devil going to do? He's going he's to come against you, right? So, but, but the thing is, is that you're going to receive, as you're leaving these things, not you know, randomly, but obediently, as you're leaving these things, then you're going to be receiving these things. You can't outgive God. And what we find right here is the Lord says, hey, you're going to get these you know, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and, and lands. And in the age to come, he says, 
eternal life. You know, and, and I don't know how it all works. Some people like to hone in on that word hundredfold. You shall receive a hundredfold. Amen? You know, and they'll say, you give a dollar, you get a hundred back. You know, you give a thousand, you get a hundred thousand back. That's not the way it works, okay? <laughs> what he's saying is this. That I tell you what, if you're not living your life for money and the things that money can buy, if God, you know, isn't that type of God where you think he's your genie, where, you know, and he, he just blesses you, whatever, financially, and that's all you're in it for. Some people are in it just for that, right? Now, they're more interested in the Ben Franklins, that hundredfold thing. But I want to encourage you to look deeper than dollars. Although I do believe God will bless you, God will provide for you, you will never go hungry. He will supply all your needs. Here's the thing that I've learned in life. If you're you're not about the house, if that's not your God, if that's not your focus, if your focus is on the Lord, He'll give you a house. But better than that, He'll give you a home. And I tell you what, a home is a hundred times better than a house, if you know what I mean. If it's just about the house, it's the mansion that's miserable, where there's no love, where there's no peace. What good is that? I'd rather live in a tent. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says it's better to have a salad where love is than filet mignon where there's hatred. (laughs) Amen? That's the way it is. And the Lord says, hey, I'll give you these things. You know, a lot of times what ends up happening when you become a Christian is you lose family and friends in different ways, you know. When I became a Christian, man, I had a lot of friends. I had a group of friends, and I was so blessed. You know, when I started sharing the Lord with them and telling them about God's love and saying, hey, you don't have to do drugs. You don't have to get high. You don't have to go sleep around anymore. Let's live faithfully. Let's live soberly, right? Next thing you know, they wouldn't answer my phone calls. (laughs) Next thing you know, they didn't want to be my friend anymore. And so, you know, I reached out to them. Eventually, when it happened, I lost them, right? And that can happen. It can even happen sometimes with family where they don't want anything to do with you. Why? Because you're a Christian. Not that you're obnoxious. Please, don't be obnoxious, okay? But you, you know, you, you represent Jesus to them. And a lot of times that gets convicting. And so you end up losing them. You want to know what happens? The Lord then blesses you with friends, huh? with true friends, with new brothers and sisters. I mean, isn't it cool? You guys can look around here. That's what you're surrounded by. You are surrounded by family. You are surrounded by brothers that will be there for you, that are born for the day of adversity. And when you go through hard times, they will carry that that burden with you. They will pray for you. I mean, I know right here he talks about even mothers. Think about that. You know, you're going to receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers. I mean, that's awesome. We got a whole bunch of, I have a whole bunch of mothers, man, that they bake tamales, cookies, tortillas, and they pray for me. Think about that. I mean, is that awesome or what? And we are so blessed. Even though we're leaving things, you know, we are receiving things. And we're going to go through hard times because the devil doesn't want you to do this. You're going to experience persecution, but don't lose heart. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have opposition. You will have adversity. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. You see, and in the age to come, e- eternal life. You know, what we got to know in looking at this section right here, we're looking at our mission. What's your mission in life 
And then you, you look at your position, but you try to look at it from God's perspective. Look at verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. That's the way it is one day when we're home in heaven. You know, uh, some people say, well, when we get to heaven, you know, the pastors are going to get the big rewards. I don't know about that, man. It doesn't always work that way. The, the first will be last, and the last will be first. You know, sometimes when we're involved in ministry and you do an altar call and people come forward and they get saved or whatever, you might think, well, it's because that guy, he gave an eloquent sermon or whatever, he's got the gift of evangelism. It doesn't always work that way. It might be that little old lady in the back row who nobody knows, who has been praying and fasting faithfully. One day when we're home in heaven, She's going to be in first. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in the back row, but at least I'll be there, right? I mean, so for us, what ends up happening is we're not into position. You know, it doesn't matter. If God, you know, puts you in that place where in one sense you're in the public eye, God puts you there. Praise God. But you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to stress about that. We're, we're willing to be whatever it is God wants us to be. As a matter of fact, we follow in the footsteps of our Lord. Look at verse 32. It says, Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were also afraid. And then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And notice this, they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. But the third day, he will rise again. See, the Lord is trying to prepare them for this so that when it happens, they wouldn't stumble Unfortunately, they were not listening because they had preconceived ideas. Their idea, their concept of the Messiah was that he was going to be king. All they thought about was the crown. But Jesus communicated to them this principle, and listen, that before the crown, there must be a cross. And what the Lord, what we see right here is that you've got your mission. I don't know what it is in life. I mean, I encourage you, check with God and find out, God, what did you make me to do? Why is it that I was born at this time, in this place, with this, you know, stature, with this, you know, set of skills or gifts or talents or whatever it is, and you, and and you just give it to God. You find out what your mission is, and then you look, and it's based on what his mission was that he came to die on a cross to save us from our sins. You know, even when we were enemies, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And so I pray that if you're here today and maybe you don't know the Lord, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to freak you guys out. I definitely don't want to. But did you guys know that you could die today? You know, you might. You never know. Probably not, you know, because you guys look pretty healthy except for a couple of you. I mean, (laughs) you know, but the bottom line is you just don't know. You know, I like to tell people that as a pastor, one of my jobs is try to make you healthy spiritually, you know. You go to the doctor and that's his job. He's supposed to make you healthy physically. 
Our job as pastors is we care for you spiritually. We want you to know God's love, God's love for you. We want you to know God's plan for you. And we want to make sure that when you die, whatever day that is, that you go to heaven forever. But, but how can you go to heaven? You know, some people think, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to make it to heaven. You can never make it to heaven by being a good person. Otherwise, Jesus would never have had to die. You go to heaven by trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. You go to heaven someday, somewhere in your life, there had to be a true decision, not just in your head, but in your heart, that I will become a committed follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so you place your faith in Jesus. You accept the gift of salvation. And what ends up happening is so cool, man, is he washes away your sins and he makes you as white as snow. When God looks at you, when you've made a decision to follow Christ, he sees no sin because all your sins were put on him on the cross and he paid the penalty that we couldn't pay because of the love that he has for you. I'll never forget the day that I was saved. God came into my life and he washed away my sins and he gave me strength. And then for the first time in my life, man, I could walk, I could see, I could, you know, dance, I could sing with purpose, I could live. Somewhere along the line, you guys, you have had to make that decision for Christ. And if you haven't done that yet, this is what this is all about. You know, I praise God for the music. It's awesome. I, I, you know, I don't know about the, the message. That's a little different. You know, we're here talking and stuff, and that's cool. We open up the Bible. There's power in his truth. But at the end of the day, here's the greatest prayer request that we all have, is that everyone here would know the Lord, that everyone here would know his love, and that everyone here would have made that decision to follow Jesus, because that was his mission. That's what he did. That's what he suffered and so what ends up happening in verse 35, notice it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Huh, that's kind of funny, huh? And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. And so they were coming and they were looking for a place of uh, position, right? Matthew 20, 20 tells us that actually it's their mother that came and asked this of Jesus. And so I think this is the way it works. One day when we stand before God, we want to have completed whatever it is he asked us to do. Will you be able to do that? Well, I think the only way that we'll have any hope of finishing the race of our mission is by knowing our position. And, and what we find right here is this mentality, this framework, is not, is not the way we should approach this whole thing. You know, we're, we're Christians. We don't go up to Jesus and say, hey, I want a place of authority, right? Uh, but unfortunately, uh, they did. Uh, their mom came and asked, hey, I want you to give my sons a prominent place in the kingdom. And, uh, you know, I've met people like that, to be honest with you. Or maybe it's even a wife who says, hey, my, my husband should be head honcho. Maybe that's why he's not. 
Because God doesn't work that way. If you think you belong there, then your heart's not right. You know, what ends up happening is the Lord teaches us on servanthood. You know, they want this position. But, but Jesus said to them, in verse 38, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, yes, we're able. And I don't think they really knew what they were getting into. But Jesus said to them, eventually you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. Eventually, James and John, they would come around. He says, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared, right? I mean, even Jesus was in submission to his father. His father would be the one to say who goes where. People have to be prepared for those places of responsibility and authority, right? And so in verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now, let me ask the question, why do you think they were displeased? Because they were like, man, what's up with that? We, we should have the positions, right? They were always fighting about who should be first. Oh, man, they talked to Jesus first. I wish I would have got to him, right? They were all into that. that and here's the thing. If that's your heart, then you are, you're making yourself unusable by God. And so what we have to do, the Lord teaches them in verse 42. He says, he calls them to himself and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the way of the world, right? They like to boss people around. They like to crack the whip. They are shoving leaders, not loving leaders, right? That's the way of the world. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And the way that it works, you guys, in the kingdom of God, to really be used by him, is you have to have a heart, first of all, to be a servant. You know, the Greek word is diakonos, and it means one who executes the commands of another. That's the way it works. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Jesus Christ will lead your life. He loves you. He's not a general God necessarily. He's a personal God. And he says, hey, let's spend time together. Hey, you know, did you guys know God drinks coffee? So we have a cup of coffee in the morning, right? And he says, Manny, this is what I want you to do today. And then I go and then I do that to the best of my ability. And sometimes it's things that maybe I wouldn't feel comfortable doing. I mean, you know, even teaching or standing in front of people, that was something I would never, ever have wanted to do or called myself to do in my life. You can ask my wife. I was so shy in high school. I was so shy. Everybody thought I was stuck up because I wouldn't talk. But it wasn't that. It's just I was so shy. And so the Lord says, okay, I want you to be a, a preacher, you know. And it, what it is, is it, it just shows, you know, that, that God is the one who puts us where we need to be. And sometimes it's outside of your comfort zone. doesn't matter if he says it. If he gives you those marching orders, then march. You, you want to be great? Then become a diakonos. Become a deacon. Become one who simply executes the commands of another. That's all it is. Yes, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. He says jump, I say how high. Bottom line, that's it. He tells me to love my wife, I will love my wife. 
You know, he tells me, you know, to go to Cambodia, even though it's hot and, and humid and, you know, all these things, man. I'll go to Cambodia, and it's been five times now, going six, and I want to tell Joshua no, but I can't. <laughs> you know, and next is Nepal, and who knows what that's going to be like. And, you know, it's like, whatever it is God tells you to do, just do it. But a lot of times, here's the problem. People don't even know what God tells them to do because they won't spend time with him. They won't listen to the Lord. So you want to be great, he says, then you become a servant. But look at verse 44. Whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. I mean, that's, that's the kingdom. You're like, hey, I want to call the shots. And God says, maybe one day you will be a leader. Maybe one day you will be in that place of awesome responsibility and authority. Maybe one day you will be the president of the United States, whatever it is that God's called you to do. But let me prepare you for this. Before you go there, you need to cultivate, number one, the heart of a servant, and number two, the heart of a slave. And what that Greek word doulos means is this one who has surrendered all his rights. And we live in a world, man, that they, they, they fight for their rights, right? And we live in a world that they feel they're entitled for everything. And we got to be careful with that when that creeps into the kingdom of God, right? What we do is we come to the Lord and we say, and a lot of times we'll lift up our hands in church. You guys don't know, don't know why? This right here, it means, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I'm not going to be that wild stallion that's, that's refusing to be broken. I'm not going to be that man or that, you know, that, that servant that kicks against the goads. I'm not going to be like, you know, whoever it is, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, you know. <laughs> no, it's, I know, God, you made me for a purpose. And I know, Lord, you can use every single person here, you young people, you know this. And you listen and don't let the enemy sidetrack you in any way. God has great plans for you. But as you go into the kingdom, you can't go with, hey, I want to do it my way. You have, to, you have to come to the Lord as a diakonos, one who executes the commands of another. You have to come to the Lord and even to everyone as a slave. You want me to wash toilets? I'll wash toilets. That's how I started. I wash toilets. I empty the trash. I'll do the carpet. I'll hold the door open. I'll do anything for God. Anything. Moses, you know, he was this great pharaoh. And history tells us that he was actually offered the throne twice. But he refused it. He said, you know what? I believe God has something else for me. He had it in his heart to help his people. But what ended up happening, to make a long story short, is he made a couple of mistakes. Next thing you know, he ended up being a shepherd for 40 years. Now you read the Bible, and being a shepherd in the eyes of the Egyptians was an abomination. To be a shepherd, to be around all those smelly sheep and you know, all that you know, atmosphere. I mean, just there's nothing there that would be appealing to the Egyptian, to the civilized 
you know, to the ones that were in power and authority. But it was in those 40 years of being a shepherd to these sheep where God cultivated within his heart what was required to be a leader in the kingdom of God because a shepherd's work could never be done without a shepherd's heart. And so what ended up happening, the Lord trained him there, cleaning toilets, emptying trash, picking up poop, vacuuming, whatever those things are. And he made him the greatest leader other than Jesus Christ. See, and that's what God will do. The thing about it in closing, last verse, is that the Lord's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. Because look at verse 45. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Christianity. A lot of you guys here, you're Christians. Praise God. I pray that you would be like Isaiah, who said, here am I, send me, do whatever you want to do with my life. For those of you here today, maybe you haven't made that commitment yet, maybe you're not a Christian. One way to look at it is that in one sense, you were kidnapped. You were kidnapped from your Creator. And Jesus Christ came down and paid the ransom to save you. And I pray, you guys, that you would allow the Lord to lead your life, that you would make decisions to follow him. I know sometimes it gets tough when we get these uh, persecutions, oppositions, tribulations, man. But you know what? As we go through adversity, doing the right thing, one day we'll be home in heaven, man, and you will find that it was worth the wait. Let me close with a story I've told a million times, but a million and one is good. I remember, uh, you know, when, one time we were at the house and, um, and my wife and I and the kids, we were inside and, uh, and we have a little dog named Chip and uh, I remember we heard him like crying, you know, in the backyard, you know, making the, do- the sound the dogs make, you know, like, kind of like that. And so uh, I remember just thinking, man, I wonder what's going on. And so, you know, we, we run to the back door, look out the side, and what had happened was a big dog had my little dog, and he was eating him, kind of like, he was just like chewing him up, right? And so, uh, I don't know, I hit the window, getting all, you know, crazy, you know, broke the glass, I finally opened up the door, went outside, and what I ended up doing was uh, beating up the big dog, basically. I beat up the big dog, right? And so there's a little chip right there, and he's all wounded and bleeding, and, you know, I pick him up, I wrap him up, I take him to the vets, and, uh, you know, he ended up uh, being okay, thank God, right? And so as time progresses, uh, he improves, and maybe, I remember, this is so funny, about a month later, I remember my wife, she, come in, she came to me and she said, I don't get it. I said, why, what's up? And she said, I don't get it. I, I, I bathe that dog. I, I feed that dog. I, I pick up the poop for that dog. She said, but he likes you more than me. <laughs> and I said, sweetheart, it's so simple to understand. I said, you may bathe him and you know, feed him and pick up his poop and you may do all those things for him, but I saved him. <laughs> right? And Jesus saved you. Jesus saved you. Let's live 
our life for Jesus.